Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership. And today we'll be talking with Gina King. We'll be sharing her experience of breaking into cybersecurity leadership and helping to prepare the next generation. Gina, do you want to give us a quick intro about your background before we jump into some of the exciting questions? Absolutely. I feel like a groupie because I'm always watching the show. Give me, I feel like I know you, but my name is Gina King. And from every industry, I've worked as a project manager, as an educator, you name it, I've been willing to do it. And I'm here today to talk to anyone who may be interested in breaking into cybersecurity leadership or cybersecurity in general, just to be encouraged and know that it's possible. And so I'm excited to share. Perfect. So with regards to your background, you said you've been in a couple industries. You want to share some of those? Yes, I started off as a chemist, as a matter of fact, and when I found out it was going to take me a considerable amount of time before I could have my own team and do my own thing, that's what sent me off to looking at some other industries. And I was in banking for a while and found that when they were having problems with their technology and things, I was very interested in that. And I think it's because of the, the quick win. You can see when something's being fixed. You can see when you're helping people. So I was, and so because of that part, I was able to navigate in different industries. So I've worked in insurance, banking, e-commerce, healthcare, you name it. If there's a place where I can help, I'm willing to. Okay. And where along your career did you decide that you wanted to become a cybersecurity leader versus staying an individual contributor? What happened to me is I began to um, start thinking about what other people had said in the past from other experiences. So while some people choose cyber and maybe they'll take some certification courses or go for a college degree, I didn't do that. I got my lumps and bumps like real time as it was happening. So if I was running a project and we would run into a security issue or a security work that no one knew about because often the security teams would be in the basement and nobody even told them about the project. I was learning things in real time. And so as I moved on in my career, I was remembering things that the engineers would say or the architects would say, and some of the cyber leadership, and I would bring those things out. And once those cyber teams recognized, I was helping them to represent themselves. I found myself being pushed to ask those questions to get them into the room. And so that's when I realized that I had the ability to think like the people I had met previously to the degree that sometimes when I'm working with leaders, they'll say, you already know what we think about this. You already know what we're going to say. And so that kind of positioned me to be able to represent them, to understand what the business needs are as well and build that bridge between the two groups. And I was hooked. That, that lays perfectly into the next question are, what are some of the critical skills that are required for a cybersecurity leader? Oh, goodness. I would say sometimes even if I think I know the answer, I still ask the question. And the reason I'm doing that is I want to respect the positions of the people that I'm working with. And I want to give them an opportunity to explain to me from their perspective what they think they're doing or what they think is next. And I'm often surprised by what they say. And that gives me an opportunity to build relationships with them to really understand what they're after. So I would say to other cyber leaders, if you think you know, 
what your teams are doing, what your leadership wants, what your peers are about, what the business is about. Ask the questions, build those relationships and take the time to respect people's positions. So building those relationships, how about when uh, on your side, when it comes to delegating, how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five, five being delegating everything to one being, I'm not going to delegate anything. How do you rate yourself and why? That could be a whole show. So I would rate myself a 99 and a half. I'm going to tell you, I'm going for the long play. So I know that it's not just this project. It's not just this program. It's not just this company that the improvements in cybersecurity span the company I'm with now. And so I'm always looking to build relationships with the people who need to move to the forefront to be empowered to do their job because I may be temporary. They have to deal with the care and feeding. We have to make sure it's sustainable for them because I'm a leader. I'm not the executor. I'm not the doer. So I find when I'm working with leaders who are also doing all the things, they're really causing a deficiency within their groups because when they're no longer there, you're leaving everybody exposed. Now, potentially aside relations from delegation and coming it on it, how do you rate yourself on collaboration from a scale of one to five? I'm a top collaborator. You can ask anyone. And I'm willing to recognize that sometimes it takes walking with the team, even though I don't agree with their approach, because now I'm building trust and we can both see, because I'm not always right. I don't know everything. So I'm willing to take that walk with them, knowing in the back of my mind, we need to plan some other things in case this doesn't work out the way we intended, because they're trying to show me something and they want to be in control of their careers. I want to help them. And sometimes there's a long walk we have to take with each other before I look at them and say, I'm glad we did that because you were right. Or before they look at me and say, wow, this did not turn out the way we intended. We do need help. And so it happens all the time. So I think being willing to um, collaborate and look at things from different perspectives is, is so critical in this area. Now there's collaboration and delegation. What about communication? How would you rate yourself as a communicator on a scale of one to five and why? I would like to be a very good communicator on that one. I don't want to rate myself high because I always want recognize there's more that I can learn. One of the number one things that I think has made me really good in this space at being able to sense when there's more to it is one time a long time ago, I actually had a course in in trauma. It was a nursing course about trauma and dealing with people who were in trauma. And the reason that course really changed my life is because just realizing that everyone has other things going on. So cybersecurity is just one layer. We have everything that happened with the pandemic, everything that's going on with families, everything that's going on with these grimy companies. I've been in situations where we've been trying to recover from a breach and had someone have have a heart attack. Recognizing that there's always more to learn. I want to be a very good communicator. And so I'm always listening for opportunities to define my terms better and to understand specifically what people are saying. And I think that's something, it's a muscle to be worked. It's difficult to do because I think we all have a tendency to think we know, but I think it's very important to be willing to pull back and take another look and spend that time with someone to really understand, or even the team to really understand their perspective and how things look from their point. And speaking about a muscle that needs to be flexed and practiced over time, how important would you consider the skill of influence 
as a skill for cybersecurity leaders and WAG? I think influence is important, but I think it needs to be tempered with education, which goes both ways, because I never want to encourage someone to do the wrong thing. But often when I'm working with groups, especially if I'm talking to technical teams or technical leaders, we need to get to a point where they feel comfortable enough to share with me what's really happening so that I can think about what I think should happen in a new light and recognize why the initial proposal will not work out. And that can only happen if there's a little education. There are a lot of salesy type groups. If you do this thing, you'll be secure. If you do that thing. But I think taking that time to work with someone where they feel comfortable with really helping you to understand the pulse of that organization is important. And then at that point, you can potentially help them to understand a different perspective or a new way. But I think it's more of an education than it is just influencing. So you, you would say use influence to educate. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, to be educated. So I'm using it to draw out in them a level of comfort where they say, all that's well and good, but really what's happening is this, or really what's happening is that, or this is why my leadership will say no to that. So I can think about it and say, I'm glad you told me they're going to say no because of the pricing, because I know where to get the savings. Or I'm glad you told me. So it's that type of thing. It's a- okay. Okay. And I see in your name title, you have Gina King Network Advocate Support. So Another skill that we found that is very important for cybersecurity leaders is the skill of networking. Why would you consider that such a critical skill and why? I can't tell you how many times I'm in a situation, just happened to me less than 24 hours ago. There's some type of anomaly and there's a lot of complexity to it. And I've only been at this seven, eight years, but I knew someone who had the answer like right away. There is nothing that can take the place of that type of thing. But the only way you can have people share with you at that level, especially about things that can be so sensitive, is to build that type of network. So if you knock on the door, the person who answers is someone that you know. And you didn't even know that they were gonna be there. But when they open the door, you're so relieved. Oh my God, I'm so glad it's you. But that can only happen if you build that network. Wow, yeah, that's true. I love going to a conference and seeing folks that that you've talked to, just like this podcast. uh, love having you on. So now we'll move on to what advice you would give to future cybersecurity leaders. So this is the one, and the thing I'll say is this, what I'm going to say can be a little bit divisive and it's okay if people want to talk about it more, either here or you can send me a message. I'm always willing. But I think one of the things that's so important is that it could be the case that because of how cybersecurity unfolded for a lot of us, We positioned it in such a way where it just seemed very high tech. From my point of view, although there's some technical workloads involved, it's really about protecting people. And it's going to a doctor's office where as soon as you walk in, he's got a treatment for you. It's just a real awkward. I just got here. You don't know me. You don't know what my situation. You just automatically have a pill. You automatically. So the thing I would say is that as a community, we need to be honest about how much we really don't know. Because I tell you what, our adversaries know what we don't know. They went to the classes we went to, they got the certs we got, they're sitting in the networks. They know very well where our weaknesses are. And if we don't start to get honest about what's really going on here, not only will we continue to deflect and marginalize people who have the natural ability to help us, we're gonna lose this war. We're gonna lose. And so my advice is to 
get honest about what you know, what you don't know, get help, build your network. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. You're creating an abyss we will never recover. So a little bit of admitting, being vulnerable, admit that you don't know everything and to work with the team to have that collaboration and communication with them. And the reason I say that is as a cyber leader, you're not only responsible for knowing your team well enough to be able to help them with the nuances of the business that you're in so that they know how that'll impact their careers and their families. You're also responsible for helping your peers that are in leadership and the board and everyone involved to know what's happening in terms of cybersecurity and how that could impact their business. It's a very sensitive area to be in. And so if you're not honest, a lot of people are being impacted not only by the adversaries, but just by your deficiencies and inability to recognize that you need more information. So as an example, if someone in leadership would ask me a question, I can know the answer. I never just blurt out the answer. I always sit down to make sure I understand the question because sometimes the way they ask it, they don't necessarily know what they're asking. And now that I understand the question, I'm going to do some research about what it is they think they'll get as a result of that thing, because sometimes they're asking the wrong question at that point. And then what are some of the boundaries or obstacles that they already perceive? And now I'm starting to talk to other people in organizations. I haven't given an answer. I had in the back of my mind what I thought. But now that I pulled the curtain back and everybody's completely naked, I recognize that the question they were asking is really this other question about this other Mm -hmm. thing. Had I been someone who just gave an answer, we would be on the wrong road. And so it's a sensitive area to be in and it takes a lot. Wow. That wraps up the pre-questions that I had. And I I think that kind of leaves me with something that I do personally myself. And that's really helped the business translate what their requirements are to the engineering team, ensure that you understand it like a business analyst. And I think a lot of technical folks overlook that business analyst aspect prior to going out and solutioning something. Absolutely. And then the other thing too, that's a sensitive area for me is helping people to recognize that even if you come up with the right solution, Mm -hmm. if it's unsustainable in your environment, what are you doing? So there are a lot of companies who have a lot of random items on the shelf and they're these high priced, but if you don't have the talent to support that, there's some level one things you could have done, save the organization a whole bunch of money. But so when somebody like me comes along, the organization is already so traumatized by previous needs that it's hard to have a real conversation with them. And it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. So it, it reminds me to an article that I, I wrote this week about zero trust and zero trust principles where you kind of have to go back to understanding what's the protect surface that you have to protect and then what's the transaction flow. And start with what you have first to protect those things before going out and buying an expensive tool that claims to be zero trust because it probably isn't because zero trust is a strategy and not a tool. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it goes back to defining our terms. When I'm teaching courses, I always say, if I asked you to bake a cake, you could say, oh yeah, and just make something, but it's probably a good idea to ask me how many people it's for, what flavor, where do I need it? And at what time? Is it something that I need right away or in two years? All of these tiny little things are critical. (laughs) What's my budget? Where do I want you to get the ingredients from? Can you use your home kitchen or do you need a commercial kitchen? Those things are very important and often we just go to an app. I totally agree with you. So on to some of the questions that we have from our audience. Our first question, is from Ellie 
Ellie Singh, thank you for hosting this talk. She's in a transition from education to cyber and finding it challenging to get hired for an entry-level role. What can she do to get noticed at an entry-level position? We need to have a second show. But the first thing I would say, Ellie, is if you're in education, I'm making the assumption as an educator, you likely have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree. And so shooting for an entry-level position may be the mistake because there's a strong likelihood that your transition is actually lateral. And uh, with all of the education experience you have, looking at an entry-level role is likely alerting the organization that we know teachers likely aren't properly paid, that your level of skill and expertise will have you be bored in that entry-level role, or there's some technical hands-on keyboard things they want you to know. I would, if I were you, talk to a couple of people who are educators in cyber, like myself, of how you can laterally move over into cyber, where you're doing some of the same things you were already doing in terms of managing projects, managing short bursts of activities with a certain group of people, just like you were with your students. So that would be my advice to you. And you can reach out to me. I double up on that. I say it all the time. Figure out those transferable skills that you can move on because... Oftentimes, if you're trying to shift downward, that's a red flag for the hiring manager. Exactly. Then we have Chris Rule, who's saying, what advice do you have for leaders that don't have a level of technical expertise of their team? Do they ever question your leadership advice and direction? The, so this is a sensitive one. There are some organizations that are expecting leaders to have magic wands and be the one-stop shop for all information. And in those organizations, the employees that work for those leaders, they don't make any decisions either. It's just like there, and there's a leader who's like moving them around like robots and puppets. If you wanna work in one of those types of environments, yes, everything you do is gonna be questioned because they're expecting you to control everybody. I find in successful organizations that want leaders to empower people and to help the right people do the right things right, they want you to take that time to bring together a valuable team of individuals that represent the business so that we can all together make the best decision. And over time, you want those people in the business to come to you for your skill and expertise in helping them figure out what they should do. That's where the value is not in a whole bunch of... So whatever you learned in technology or cyber, this thing is moving so quickly, you will always have to go back and reevaluate what you think you know and so you want to find an organization that values your ability to do that in collaboration versus organizations that expect you to run the board or run a bunch of people with no regard to who they are. So I would just say it's really a question about the type of environment you want to be in, not the wrong. And I would double up on that. As a leader, you can't know everything. So it is in your best power to hire folks that fill in the gaps that you have, first of all, and then second of all, to fill in the gaps that your organization needs, because it doesn't make sense to double up, to hire someone that has your same skill so that you can tell them what to do. No, that's not the idea. The idea is to hire people that are more skilled than you, and they're the ones creating the advice. You're just helping remove the blocks out of the way. Exactly. We have Mr. Paul Cummings, Gina, as a kindred spirit of using the CISA NICE framework. What suggestions do you have for career shifters to weaponize it in their career shift? This needs to be another show too, but one of the things I would say is to me, a job post 
is a call for help. Organizations likely are not going to put on the job post, hey, we don't know what we're doing. Please come help. They're not going to do that. They're going to position themselves like we're the bee's knees. If you're the best, you'll come join us. So it's almost like you have to have the discussion to really figure out what do they want. I know you put all these things on here, but if I could do all these things, you couldn't afford me. So let's really be honest. But before you do that, you want to have a network and likely have some individuals in that network and that can help you understand the business you're approaching. So as you try to approach them, their industry and where they sit in the industry, that way, when you're having a conversation, even though it's supposed to be about cyber, you know their business. And then they can disclose to you out of these 45 things is really the top three we want to do now. The rest are forward looking items. And now you have a shot. It's going to look like you don't have a shot when you look at the job post because they're just throwing everything out there. And as a result, one thing that's unfortunate is we also need to talk about how you would approach managers and organizations that put the post out there, because I don't necessarily recommend applying to the post, but that can be a different, that can be a different thing. Double up on approaching, <laughs> then the, using your network to talk to the hiring manager versus directly applying, yeah. especially for those that come from a diverse community, a diverse set of experiences, because you want to be able to articulate before the interview, how you can help solve their problems so that they do select you for the interview. And then you can give more details. You just want to give them a teaser, show them the value that you have and to include you in the process. Yep. And where you can build a model of that organization within your network so that you have individuals that can help you understand where will you sit in the organization and likely what will your workloads be? Who will your peers be? You want to have that top of mind as you're talking, because an introduction can get you in front of a hiring manager, way fine to positions. Absolutely. We have Kevin. Entry-level positions are misnamed in his opinion. Most of them are geared towards feeder positions in other areas of IT that have a tough time to move into any industry blind. There needs to be foundational elements, in my opinion. I think that was mostly a comment, but Anything to address on that? I do think entry-level positions are misnamed, and I think that's a deficiency of the organization, and you overcome that with a discussion, which means that now, uh, the way you position yourself, there's a strong likelihood that you can also address the salary that was offered during the negotiation, because you proved your point, you proved your case, I do it all the time. And then, yes, there's some foundational elements to be learned first, but I think a better play, rather than getting a position and struggling through the position, trying to learn things, is to use your network, volunteer, get involved, we'll help you. That way, at least you can say to a potential hiring manager, here are the things that I've done on my own because I'm passionate about this thing, rather than going to an employer and saying, I'm an empty slate, pay me and fill me up. That's a lot. So there's a lot of competition out here. It may be a better play to end the industry where you already are, because you probably already have some knowledge and potentially some passion for that. Learn about cybersecurity and what you can do where you are, and then start to make your move. To add to a comment from Paul earlier here about the, the NICE framework, is you can use that as a way to highlight how you already do some of the things that are listed there in your current role, the ability to analyze requirements, the ability to research things on the open internet, which have funny names like OSINT in our industry, but those are things that you do 
elsewhere. So especially people who have had even just a handful of college courses, you know what it means to have a course or to go through some type of training, whatever mm-hmm. it is you want to know, make it a course. There's so many free resources out here. Make it a course for yourself. Take yourself through it. Ask questions. Find yourself some mentors, coaches, whatever it is you need to do. There's nobody at the gate. There's nobody at the gate. It's wide open. It's, it's nothing but And for the final question before we wrap up, any advice for those that might not have the fancy bachelors and just a college technical diploma, not in IT, but they have several years of IT experience? So from my perspective, again, it comes to a couple of introductions and a discussion because the reason organizations list certain certifications, list certain degrees is because in their mind, it gives them a sense of calm that you've been through those things. But we all know that does not mean that they've aligned their business to any of those strategies. So they may say, well, somebody who has the A plus or CISSP, I always come back with what percentage of your organization is in alignment with that? Zero. Okay. So what specifically is in there that you want me to know? Because we can have that conversation all day. And so that's something that we can help you. Okay. And now for the million dollar question, Gina, Uh if you were to look back at your 20 year old self, I know you're 21, but your 20 year old (laughs) self and give her some advice that would allow her to propel her career instead of going through some of the things that you did, what would that be? So what I would say is when I was going through, I would say some of the difficult times in my career where I had some managers that are exactly the ones we're saying you don't want to be like, or some of the environments that we're talking about, they're a little bit dysfunctional and things. I wish I had known at that time that those would be the exact things that would allow me to help people, but I didn't know it then. So the thing I would say to myself at that time is enjoy this, take everything in that you possibly can, because these are the exact things that it does not change. The only thing that needs to change is your perspective and your attitude. So that's what I would say. Real leaders, especially ones need to do right by their teams and need to do right by the organization. They want partnership. They don't necessarily want employees. This is all too much. So this is all too much is traumatizing. The fact that we're even here, like this is ridiculous. So individuals who are in leadership positions with all this stress and pressure, nobody gets up wanting to do this type of thing. It's an opportunity. And so the more you can recognize it for an opportunity, even where you are. So if you're in a position, you're thinking, I want to jump into cyber. I want to break into cyber where you are. There's likely some muscles that you need to build. So when you get in this environment and realize it's just the same as everything else, you can have a different perspective. And so I wish someone had told me that. Gina, thank you for coming on this episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity Leadership, sharing your advice and your journey through cyber. We'll definitely have you on for a CISA NIST nice framework episode in the future with whole cyber human initiative coming up together so thank you so much for joining us and for everyone else that's catching us follow us on linkedin follow us on youtube hit that subscribe button hit that notification button so we come on if you're following us on twitch hit that subscribe button as well and if you're following us on podcasts share us with all your friends and family give us a 10-star review Um, share Gina out with everyone. And thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great day, everyone.